Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here, and you're listening to the CFI podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. What does it take to teach great landings? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com, and you're listening to the CFI, the Certificated Flight Instructor Podcast, brought to you by our number one rated online ground school, GroundSchoolAcademy.com. Did you know, as a CFI partner of ours, I pay you a commission for everything you sell? You can learn more about becoming a CFI partner. You can just click support on M0A.com and say, hey, Jason mentioned in the CFI podcast about becoming a CFI partner and making some extra money, I would love to send you a check every month uh, as uh, with uh, the sales that you're bringing in. You don't have to hold any inventory. There's no DVD courses or anything like that locked up in a broom closet somewhere. It's, uh, it's just a simple link. And you, uh, as you sell, you don't hold any inventory. I fulfill, I ship, and, and do and support everything. So learn more about that. Uh, let us know if you're interested in joining and becoming a part of that CFI partner program in this case. We're talking about today teaching landings. What does it take to teach good or really great landings? For me, great landings, and I actually have a a video uh, that'll be coming out soon, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, It'll be coming out soon on, on really three easy ways to improve your landings. Perhaps you can you can search that on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, just you know, three easy ways to improve your landings, M0A, uh, and that'll come up as well. Maybe if I remember, I can go back to the show notes uh, and add that link in there. But for me, and, and as I was creating that video, it really comes down to the ground preparation. I always share that a perfect landing starts with a perfect pattern. I need my students to understand what that perfect pattern looks like. So we will literally, we'll go out to the ramp and we'll find a crack in the asphalt or in the, in the, in the concrete. Um, and we'll literally pretend that this is our runway or we'll draw with chalk our actual runway. We'll line it up just right, put the windsock where it'd be, the tower where it would be, the, or hangar where it would be, whatever it is. And we'll literally walk on the ramp our traffic pattern. If it's a pilot-controlled airport, we'll make our radio calls. And two, three, Mike Zulu's turn left. And we just make all these radio calls all the way around because oftentimes students can fall behind the airplane when you start giving them the extra tasks like radio communications. Early on when I'm teaching landings, I just do the radio work. They have so much to think about. I don't need them also trying to focus on making great radio calls. So practicing the radio calls on the ground is a great way to do it. And I can take those over or slowly give them the easy radio calls, whatever it may be. But when it, it's busy and there's three other planes in the pattern and they're making the radio calls and they're trying to fly that, that great pattern and, and make that great landing and they're a 10, 15 hour student pilot, it's very easy to fall behind the airplane. So we have to give it to them in baby steps. It starts with the ground preparation. It starts with that perfect traffic pattern. I then start and bring us into the topic of how airspeed is king. We'll also draw on that same traffic pattern. I want to be 90 on downwind, 80 on base, 70 on final, 65 across the airport fence, whatever it may be, so they know those numbers. We'll talk about how we can achieve those numbers using pitch and power ratios, adjusting um, you know, flaps and trim settings to make all that happen because we also have to nail these altitudes. And I'll often find students will ask a lot like, well, what altitude should I be on base? 
And the last, that was a generic question. And the truth is, you can't answer that. I mean, first off, MSL, AGL, there's a lot of factors in that there alone. But what altitude should be on base? What if it's a wide base? What if it's a close-in, tight base? What if, you know, what if there's a, a plane in front of you? Uh, these are the different factors that go into it, and you have to be able to adjust and adapt concerning those factors. You should always be able to eyeball a, a Am I too high? Am I too low? Am I right on glide path? You should be able to do that at any point in the traffic pattern. Downwind, base, final, doesn't matter. You should be able to eyeball that, knowing the altitudes. We talk about headings. I don't want, some, I've had some students use this as a crutch, but using the heading indicator. Okay, if we took off five, the reciprocal's two, three, fly ahead of two, three. Now that works if there's no wind or anything else and assuming they lined up their heading indicator correctly, it's a good reference. It points them in the right direction here, but you can't forget about crab angles and everything else. You can hold two, three all day, but you could be on a really wide or a really tight pattern if you're, uh, if you're not mindful of what the wind is doing. And then we talk about, lastly, again, this is all on the ground, so we haven't even set foot in the airplane yet. We talk about our procedures. What flows do we have? A beam my touchdown point, car repeat, power back, 10 degrees of flaps. Remember when I add flaps, the nose has a tendency to come up. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure I physically force that nose down. I'm going to continue to baby a little bit of power back, roughly 1,600 RPMs. And I'm talking them through this entire process. By the way, when we're walking on the ground, on the ramp, following that exact traffic pattern, as we're physically walking it out, chair flying in a way, mind you, we're saying these things, we're saying, we're reading the checklist, we're saying the radio calls, we're running through these flow checks, and we're making all that happen, verifying with the checklist, and having all that done ahead of time, practicing that on the ground. I then, and again, before I even teach, teach a student landings, they have to be a master at slow flight. And I know we're in a big slow flight debacle now of PTS versus ACS slow flight. That video actually, I believe, posts next week. I have an ACS slow flight video. So when I say next week, uh, AKA, it's probably already posted by now uh, since of, as this recording, it's a week ago. Just so you, so you have that ACS slow flight, you can be mindful and be watching that. But I want you to become an expert at slow flight. You have to. I mean, think about it. Right before you touch down, you're effectively in a phase of slow flight. I want you to become an expert at slow flight. Stalls, steep turns, and ground reference maneuvers. Ground reference maneuvers get so neglected, but they're truly teaching us how to make those adaptations with what the wind is doing, how to roll out wings level here and, and, and keep a constant distance around this point here. That's going to help you fly that perfect traffic pattern because you have a better understanding of it, right? Slow flight, stalls, steep turns, ground reference maneuvers. And, and if students are struggling with landings and they're going to struggle early on, we can always do slow flight down the runway. I don't bring out slow flight down the runway that early. I, I let them attempt some landings. We'll, we'll have 30 or 40 landings in the logbook. And if we're not getting anywhere, that's when I bring slow flight down the runway out. I, I don't do that with a new student pilot. It's just, it's too much happening at once. So I wait till I have 30, 40, maybe even 50 landings under their belt. And listen, it's just these landings need a lot of work. That's when slow flight down the runway comes out. Even so, even when their landings are good, but they can just fine tune them just one more notch, I'll, I'll do slow flight down the runway with my students in that case. I've talked about that numerous times in, in videos and such here. Something else to think about as a, as a CFI here is 
how far do you and can you let a mistake go over time, you know, uh, uh, before taking control? You know a student's coming in too fast, they're coming in too slow, you know they're just about ready to stall it here. How long till you jump in there and you add the power, you take over the controls, you save my flight controls, or man, you just, you just grab those controls and save the day. How far can you let a mistake go before taking control? Because students learn by making mistakes. But there's a fine line between making mistakes and bending metal. I don't want them to have a traumatic experience, Right? I want them to make mistakes. That's how we're going to learn. I don't want them to scare themselves out of never coming back again. So you have to be very mindful. And usually it's on the rudder pedals because, and that's something your feet are going to be there anyways. Usually you're helping them a little bit on the rudder pedals. Most of the time they can get the yoke work down, but it's, it's working and maneuvering on those rudder pedals sometimes that can be so difficult. So how far do you let them take it? This improves, by the way, over time. Um, it will always get better albeit with you and the student, obviously. I mean, you as a new CFI, it's very difficult to let go sometimes. It is very difficult to let a student, you know, set her down a little a little more abruptly uh, than, than you would like or you would have done. It can be very difficult to uh, do that. Trust me. And, and again, when I started out, I owned the airplane. I bought my Cessna 150. I did a lot of training in my Cessna 150. I'd flown you know, other aircraft, you know, for owners and that sort of stuff beforehand, teaching them and their aircraft and flight school airplanes before. But when you own your own airplane and you're the flight instructor teaching somebody in it, you're, I had a hard time letting go and letting students kind of put a rough landing in uh, sometimes. It just makes it a little more difficult when you're paying for those brakes, those tires. Uh, you're wondering what's really happened underneath that, uh, that strut and everything else on these hard landings. So be mindful of that as well. But teaching landings. Teaching landings always starts on the ground. Pattern overview, airspeed, altitudes, headings, procedures, flows. Then... We go into some flight maneuvers. I want you to be a master of slow flight, especially, but also stalls, steep turns, and please don't neglect ground reference maneuvers with your students. Then you always have to ask your quest- the question to yourself, how far can I let this mistake go before I step in and save the day or, or just give some corrective action uh, in that case? And that's just, that is your judgment as the CFI. Listen, I know you are going to be or you are an amazing CFI. Just the fact that you're taking the time to listen to this when I'm sure you've got a busy flying schedule, um, maybe you have another flying job, maybe another job entirely, whatever it may be, you're finding ways, you're taking time to better yourself as a flight instructor. And that helps us create those safer, smarter pilots because reducing the accident rate starts with you all. It starts with you all, the CFIs and instilling those great principles in our students. So uh, I just truly, truly appreciate you taking the time. And don't forget the private instrument and commercial podcasts as well to share with your students. So uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Go back and catch the previous episodes if you haven't already. We're going to get back on a regular schedule of getting these podcasts out to you as well. So listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember... And a good pilot is always learn. Have a great day, guys. We'll see ya.